0: I know that this is Calvary Chapel and that going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through whole sections of scripture is what we do. Um, I do that typically at our home church up there in Northern Virginia called the City Gates Church, Uh, but I want to use the fact that I'm a guest this morning as an excuse to shake things up a little bit and, and do things a little bit different, and that is to get back to the basics of what Christians believe For many of you, the things that we will look at this morning will not be new, but I hope that it's sweet. I I hope that it's rich. I hope that it is like a Thanksgiving-sized serving of comfort food for your soul, because we are going to go all over the Bible this morning, from Genesis to Revelation, to see what does the Bible have to say about God. I'll set it up like this. If someone were to come to you and say, hey, you're a Christian, Um, tell me about God. How would you respond? How would you try to explain God? Well... Unless you're a religion or a philosophy major or have just taken a related class in those fields, you probably wouldn't turn immediately to the vocabulary of theology and philosophy books. You probably wouldn't talk about eminence and transcendence or omniscience and omnipotence. You wouldn't talk immediately about the ontological or the teleological or the cosmological arguments for God. At least I hope not. (laughs) You shouldn't build up to those things. They're all very well and good. There are times and places when we need precise language and specialized vocabulary. But if I was asked in normal, casual conversation to tell someone about God, I would probably say something like, he's the foundation of my life. Like he forgives me and saves me. Everything good in my life has its roots in him. And comes from knowing, believing, and following him. And because of that, I try to know him more and see what else he wants me to do. What else he wants me to know. Because he's done me nothing but good thus far. And then, if the conversation went a bit longer, maybe I would work at unpacking some of those ideas. And so that's what I want to do with you now, is to remember and rejoice over seven attributes of the nature and character of God, using plain language. We're going to be all over the place in Scripture, but they will flash the verses up for you on the screen so that you can see that I'm not making any of this up and you can jot down notes and you can look it all up later when you want to go a little bit deeper on your own. And thanks to the tech team who've done a great job for making all this happen this morning. I really appreciate you guys. Hey. All right. So, the first thing that I would tell you if I was trying to tell you a little bit more about God and and, and what I have come to know and understand of him is I would begin by telling you that number one, God is. So if you're taking notes, number one, God is. Moses was living as a shepherd on the backside of the desert when God interrupted his life at the burning bush and said, hey Moses, I'm going to send you to deliver my people out of Egypt and then lead them into the promised land. And Moses said, um who are you? And who shall I say has sent me? And Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Note this, This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. God told Moses, My name is I am. I am here. I am real. I am. Friends, Everything starts and ends with the fact that God is. You see, it doesn't matter what we think, it doesn't matter what we feel, it doesn't matter what we would prefer. God is. And he sits on his throne with all power and authority, unmoving, unflinching, unwavering, waiting for our recognition and response. There is no getting around it. There is no avoiding it. Sooner or later, every human being must address the fact that there is a God, and he says, I am. We either bow in reverence like Moses... Accepting the call that He puts on our life, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it seems impossible, or we resist and wait and see how that plays out. But God offers no excuses, no explanations. He simply insists. I am. God is in a category all by himself. Nothing made God. He doesn't come from something or someone else. He doesn't depend on anyone else or exist to please anyone else. He is not afraid of anything else. He is spirit and he is totally and completely self-existent. God doesn't need us or anything else. He is, number two, self-defining. He can't be fully explained in terms of anything else. God doesn't fit into any other category. So I might explain to you what a woolly mammoth is by saying, well, it's kind of like like an elephant but just covered in shaggy hair. Or I might explain what a zebra is by saying, well, it's kind of like a, a horse but with stripes Friends, God is not simply another example of divinity. There is no one and nothing else that you can compare him to. In fact, he asked the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40 verse 25, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? The answer, of course, is no one. And because of this, there is a sense in which it is impossible to fully know God. He is. He is there. But he's also incomprehensible. You could devote your entire life to studying God and never master him. Again, God told Isaiah in Isaiah 55 verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, look, you don't think the way I do. You don't know what I know. You don't see what I see. You don't have all of the pieces. You don't see the whole picture. In fact, there's so much you're missing, you don't even know what it is. And yet, this is no reason to despair. Because I think many of us have had those situations where we faced something, whether it was like math or engineering or like just, just something. Maybe it was a skill that you were trying to learn and you were like, Forget it, I can't get it, and you're just getting frustrated and walk away, right? God is not like that. He's more complex than anything you've ever faced, and yet, he's not meant to cause you despair. When we turn to the New Testament, we find the Apostle Paul reveling in the vastness of God and bursting out in praise as he writes in Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it should be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Like you can hear the excitement. You can sense the enthusiasm that this greatness of God produces in Paul. Y'all, Paul does not want a God that he can figure out. He doesn't want a God that he can control. He doesn't want a God that sits quietly over there on top of the fireplace or stays put in his temple halfway across town. Paul wants, and we have, a God who is. Who is unstoppable, untamable, uncontainable. A God who wasn't raised by anyone else, doesn't owe anything to anyone else, is not afraid of or respectful of anyone or anything else. Paul wants, and we have, a God who is central to everything. Absolutely everything. So, we have a God. A God who is, who is beyond our ability to pin down, categorize, and dissect. And number three, we have a God who is holy. Church, our God is holy. Holiness is not just one of his attributes. Holiness is his essential nature. God is holy. And the only reason that anyone or anything else gets called holy is because they have a derivative relationship with him. Their holiness is nothing more than simply a reflection of their connectedness to him. Going back to that encounter with Moses, God got his attention by setting a bush on fire. Moses came near to see what was happening with the bush. And God said in Exodus 3 verse 5, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The ground was holy, because God was associated with it, and that holiness compelled Moses to respond. Notice, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. There is something compelling and simultaneously paralyzing about the beautiful and yet terrible holiness of God. We want it. Oh, we, we want it. But we also know we're not worthy of it, we're, we're drawn to it. But only if we can stand in the corner or the shadows and look on from a distance. If, if we can control our engagement with the holiness. Because we want to see it and be near it, but not get too close. C.S. Lewis in the famous Chronicles of Narnia books pictures Christ as a lion. A lion that the characters describe as good but not safe. That is a great way to put it. God cannot be tamed. He is holy. He is splendid. He is attractive and compelling. But he will also expose you. He will confront you. The closer you get to God, the more you realize your own true personal condition. He is holy and entirely better than us, supremely superior to us. Angels and elders bow down in heaven and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In fact, what we call evil could be described simply as the absence of God and his holy goodness. Something is evil because it does not reflect God's character, design, and intent. The question, why does God allow evil? Maybe an honest one. But it also reflects a lack of awareness of what evil is. Evil is what happens in the absence of God's holiness. And it is most often the result of sin. Whether specific personal sin or the general, lingering, pervasive effects of a planet-wide, historic rebellion against God. We commit evil, and evil is committed against us. But it is never pleasing to God, nor is it ever representative of him. It is the sucking, vacuous absence or abandonment of God. It is what is wrong. And it shows us what his exclusion means. So God is. He is too complex for us to master. He is holy. And number four, he is supreme In knowledge he knows all things because all things work according to his rules and plans a person writing computer code knows how her program will work because she wrote the lines of code well in those terms God wrote the code of the universe He knows all the options. He knows all the possibilities, considered all the variables, wrote out all the if-then statements, and he knows what is happening. There is nothing that is hidden from him. In fact, Paul told the Christians in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and Reveal the counsels of the hearts. Friends, nothing is hidden from God, even the things that happen in our hearts and our minds. Now, that could be terrifying to you, or it could be tremendously comforting. Because if God knows everything, that means that he has taken everything into account and nothing can come up by surprise for him. There's nothing that he didn't consider or plan for. It might have caught you off guard. You might not know what's going on. You might not have all the answers you're looking for, but it doesn't surprise God. You can trust him. Isn't this why we turn to other people for advice? Like when, when our life turns upside down, when we are confused and perplexed, we often will turn to somebody that we think can see something that we don't. Somebody that might know something that we don't. Someone who can tell us what to do. Friends, that's God. He has all knowledge. He knows what is best and good and right. He will lead you to it. And he will see you through it. It also means that if God knows everything, including the intents of your heart and your mind, that means, and I mean this in a comforting way, he knows your heart and your motives. Now, that could be in a judgmental way, right? But I don't mean it that way right now. I mean it in a comforting way. Because I want you to know that if God knows the motives and intent of your heart and mind, then God knows what you really meant to say. God knows how you really wanted that to turn out. See, it might not have come out the way you wanted it to. They might not have taken it the way you wanted it to. It might not have turned out the way that you wanted it to. But God knows the motive and intent of your heart, He knows what you were trying to accomplish. So relax. Take a deep breath and take it easy. How many of us walk around on a regular basis reviewing the courtroom transcripts of our inner lawyer constantly trying to defend ourselves? I wish they would have heard did that come across right? Did they think that was stupid? Did it? we are constantly providing play-by-play analysis of the things that are happening in our head and our heart. And you're, you're often feeling condemned because it didn't come out the right way or it didn't unfold the right way. And I'm just here to tell you that church, God knows. He knows the motive and intent of your heart. And God is always way more concerned with our motives than he is about our outcomes, which only he can control entirely anyway. Which brings us to another one of his attributes, and that is number five, his supreme power. I love this verse from the Psalms, Psalm 135, verse six. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. I don't know about y'all, but that's my God. He does whatever he pleases, See, Frank Sinatra may sing, I did it my way. And others may boast about doing whatever they want. It's a lie. At some point, every human being is under constraint. We all face limitations. Your physical strength or beauty will fade. Power is taken away or lost. Money runs out. Or you die. But God. God. Does. Whatever he pleases. And God pleases. To be creative. And do good. The Bible opens with the words Genesis 1-1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. You ever seen the, the bomb suits that the bomb disposal guys wear? Kind of like an olive drab, Stay puff Marshmallow Man-looking thing? All of that padding is designed to protect the wearer from fragments, heat, and fire, and pressure waves generated by the blast from a relatively small amount of explosives. And yet, God, who is supremely powerful, holds together all the atomic energy that has ever been created. He spoke that energy into being. The energy of tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and millions of millions of stars. God created that. All of the energy of yellow dwarfs and red giants, of supernovas and pulsars... Colossians 1 verse 16 says that by him were created all things that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And I would argue that we know that. That we know that intuitively, that no one has to tell us. Because when we are confronted with nature, whether it's in the desert or out in the woods, whether it's at the mountains or at the beach, when we are staring up into the sky or looking down into the water, our souls begin to awaken and we see, we feel the beauty and the splendor and the sheer size and scope of it all at times Remind us of this uncontrollable, unconquerable power of God. Because he is. And all of this did not just happen on its own. We tend to be most aware of God when we are closest to what he has made. Or in special moments like the birth of a child. God uses these things to get our attention and communicate to us. And when he does, you know what he says? He says, I am. I am here. And I want you. This God whom we can never reach on our own, whose holiness and power keep us from being able to approach him directly, says to us, I want to close the gap between you and me. I want you in my presence. I am offering myself to you. In fact, I have come to you. When I was serving down at Pope Air Force Base next to Fort Bragg in North Carolina, we had a photo on the wall in the chapel. It was a picture of a lunar landing module on the surface of the moon. And Jim Irwin was there next to it. Jim was a, a former Air Force pilot, an Apollo 15 astronaut. He was the eighth man to walk on the moon. Well, he had come to the chapel at one point to speak. And he had signed that picture with these words. Jesus... Walking on earth is more significant than man walking on the moon. He's on to something there, isn't he? I mean, you think about this. You think about the fact that God, who created the world, the sun, the moon, the stars, the Milky Way, and Andromeda galaxies, and everything else that is out there in space, that God came down to our tiny little planet in human flesh, because even someone like Jim Irwin, walking on the moon, could never reach God on his own. God knows that. Remember, he has supreme knowledge. And so God came to us. Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven. It came down to die on a Roman cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Because not only is God there, not only is he beyond our ability to comprehend, not only is he holy and supreme in knowledge and power, he is also, number six, undeniably, unmistakably good. The Bible says in Romans 8.28 that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You all, we are the beneficiaries of the goodness of God. The Bible calls God a shepherd, a father, a defender. These are terms of goodness and kindness and personal relationship because God wants us to know that he is capable, he is caring, and he is close to each of us. By some estimates, there are presently 7.5 billion people alive on planet Earth. Roughly 24 million of them live in the city of Shanghai, China, and it's a good bet that not a one of them knows you. There are 23 million people alive today in Karachi, Pakistan, and it's a good bet that not a one of them knows you. 18.4 million people woke up this morning in the city of Mumbai, India, and not a one of them thought how you're doing today but jesus jesus says that the very hairs of your head are numbered because you have value to god the sun the moon and the stars they don't care about you. The elements of the periodic table don't care about you. Scientific laws and theories don't care about you. But there is a God who made all of those things. And he cares about you. He cares about the poor He cares about the sick. He cares about the lonely. God cares about the victims of oppression and injustice, anxiety and despair. He cares about people suffering the effects of his absence through sin. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer in your place on the cross so that you could be reunited with him. And once... He has forgiven you and redeemed you. There is no separating him from you. He tells those who have been born again in Christ, Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You might have dark nights of the soul. Absolutely. You might have times when you wonder, where is God? Why can't I hear him? Why don't I sense him in the same way? But at those moments in time, you must take God to his word and say, God, I don't see you. I don't know you. I don't know why my prayers are not being answered. I don't know why I feel dead and dry and worn out and empty. But either your word is true or it's not. And your word says that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. So God, may you give me the sustaining grace to make it through another day until the sun comes out again and I see your glorious face. In fact, at the moment of our salvation, scripture says that he comes to dwell within us, that he is, according to Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, we know that God is, that he is more than we could imagine, that he is holy, that he is supreme in knowledge and power, that he is the creator of the universe who stoops down to engage with us because he is good There's so much more that we could say about him. But let us just end with this. Number seven, he is eternal. And when it comes to technology, I am usually not a fan of updates. It's not because I'm afraid of learning what's in them or seeing what's changed. It's just that I'm tired. Because right now we are on Microsoft Windows 11. I hit the ground running with 3.0. And then there was 3.1, Windows NT, Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows 2000, ME, XP, XP Pro, and that was all before my kids were even born. God, on the other hand, is infinitely more complex than a computer's operating system, and yet he is eternally consistent in the most comforting way. He told the prophet Malachi, Malachi 3, verse 6, I am the Lord. I do not change. And Hebrews declares in Hebrews thirteen eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God is the same as he's always been and ever will be, which means you can trust him. You can depend on him, you can rely on him because the same God that has forgiven you in the past is there to forgive you today. The same God that you once felt so close to welcomes you back. The same God that brought you through that really challenging thing a few years ago is still there to help you face the looming crisis that you don't want to see tomorrow. He does not change. You are not going to catch God on a bad day. Our lives change, but He does not. Friends, this is the God we serve. This is the God we worship. This is the God that we know and love. He is the I am. He is self-defining. He is holy, supreme in knowledge and power. He made the world and everything in it, and he bends down to us in kindness and grace. He knows us by name, and he sent his son to redeem us. He is eternal and wants to spend eternity with us. So rejoice. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Worship and serve your God. Be increasingly available to him. Invite him into every aspect and corner of your life. Be encouraged as you go out into the world today. Ready to answer the question. Who is your God? And being confident. In your answer. Let's pray. Almighty, magnificent, majestic, most holy God. We praise you. We praise you for who you are. And not just what you have done. But we praise you for what you have done as well. Because for so many of us, you have met us. You have lifted us. You have helped us. You have held us. You have been the rock underneath our feet. You have been the strength in our weary bones. You have revealed yourself to us in ways that we can know and trust, and we are grateful for it. We continue to invite you into our lives, saying, have your way with us, for you are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. You are worthy of the service of our lives teach us how to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.